You're listening to the Cornerstone Family Worship Center podcast. Making disciples, building community, and growing together in faith and love. Sometimes there are people who have sit, sat in churches for 40 years and they sat in the same place for 40 years. And they happened to come in late one, one Sunday morning and some new visitor came in with long hair and, and, uh, and enough metal in their face that they looked like they fell into a tackle box. And they sat right where Mr. and Mrs. Smith sits for 40 years. How dare they sit in my seat because I have the best seat in the house. Amen. How many of you just love to have the best seat in the house? Amen. Think about that. Amen. If, if you were going to the Fox Theater today, the best seats in the house would probably be those first couple of rows in the mezzanine right in the center stage. Because the acoustics are good there. You can hear everything there. You can see everything there. You're not up against the wall somewhere. You're, you're right where you can, you're, man, everything's center stage. You can see it. You can hear it. It's good. You'd, you'd say, man, I got the best seats in the house. And it'll cost you a little bit more for that seat, I guarantee you. Yeah, you look at the chart and you can go sit over in the corner if you want and that'll only cost you 60 bucks. But if you want to sit center, center stage in the mezzanine, it might cost you 150 bucks. I'm not sure exactly what the prices are, but it's going to cost you more because that's a better seat. Amen? Uh, I remember the old Tiger Stadium. Uh, it was called Briggs Stadium at one point in time, then it got changed to Tiger Stadium. Some of you are old enough to have been to a few ball games down there at Tiger Stadium. Amen? And you could get a cheaper seat. It was called an obstructed view. <laughs> And what that meant was that there was a seat right behind a pole. And you could see the whole game. You could see almost every single play of the game. You just had to move your head this way, and you had to move your head that way. But it was a cheaper seat. Amen? So the best seats in the house might be in along third baseline or right behind the, the catcher or whatever where you could see a lot of action up close and up front, you know. But it cost you, it cost you a little bit more money. Amen? So whether you're attending a symphony, a Broadway musical, or a sporting event, your enjoyment of the whole experience has a lot to do with where you're sitting. Has a lot to do with where you're sitting. So this morning I want to talk to you about where are you sitting? Where are you sitting? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your holy word today. We thank you for this service thus far. Lord, you, you've just come and you've stirred our hearts up for worship towards you. We thank you for that. 
We thank you for the word of God that brings life to us. It's the bread of life. It's the word that shines light into our hearts. We thank you for it today. We pray that your mighty anointing be upon this message and everything that's said here this morning, that it will build up your church, that it will cause all of us to be excited about your kingdom and about where we sit. In Jesus' name, amen. So, where are you sitting? Some people are sitting in the seat of the scornful. Let's go to Psalm 1. I'm not going to read the whole psalm, although it's a very short psalm, but I just want to look at two verses because I want, to, I want us to uh, focus in on that one word, that one phrase, the seat of the scornful. Psalm 1, verse 1 says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Yeah. Amen. A blessed person does not, it speaks in the negative, a blessed person does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, the ungodly of this world. Amen. He does not embrace their principles. He does not adopt their philosophies, nor does he encourage their practices in his life. He doesn't do that. Amen. And if we are blessed, how many of you are blessed this morning? Yeah. Hallelujah. I'm one of the blessed of the Lord. I don't, I don't make any apologies for that. I'm not, I'm not arrogant when I say it. I know who I am. I know what I have. I am the blessed of the Lord. You are blessed of the Lord. And if we are blessed and want to be blessed even in a greater way, how many of you would say yes to that? I want to be blessed in a greater way. I don't think that I've tapped in on all that God has for me yet. If we want to be blessed even more and in a greater way than we are, <clears throat> all counseling of the wicked should be avoided at all cost. Get rid of it, steer clear of it, have nothing to do with it. It seems that there's a progression here that is illustrated in these couple of verses. Walking casually along, just walking through life, walking through this world casually, receiving a little ungodly counsel from here, hearing a little ungodly advice from there. And we're just walking along casually and we're getting a little of this and a little of that fed into our, into our heart and into our mind and into our spirit. Little by little. And then this can lead to a place of standing. So we're walking casually and little by little we're taking on junk that we don't want to be taking on. And it can lead us to a place where we're actually standing in the way of sinners meaning that we're actually caught up in their sins with them. We, get, we, get, we can get caught up in that. Amen. Caught up with them. Standing in, uh, taking a stand with them. Once, once 
the enemy permeates our minds and gets us off track and we're listening to the ungodly counsel of this world, we come to a place where we're actually standing in a place that's, that's not good for us. Amen. And we stand with them. We even side in with them. We sympathize with them because we've heard enough of that ungodly counsel to allow it to affect us. Amen. And then after a person finds himself there practicing the same sins as those who are not walking in the blessings of God, he becomes indifferent to the Spirit of the Lord. He becomes callous. He becomes cold. And he becomes backslidden. That's what the Scripture talks about. Backslidden. Sliding back from Christ. Now, there are people who believe that you just can't ever lose your salvation. I'm not one of those people. I believe that we have the same free will to continue to walk with Christ as we did to come to Christ. And we have the same free will to leave and forsake him and to go back to the world as a dog to its vomit, the scripture teaches, and go back and do that thing again as well. You have the potential to do that. And so do I. And we need to be mindful of that. And that's what the admonition is. If, we want, if I want to be a blessed man, I want to walk this way. I want to walk according to the word of God. I want to delight in his word. I want to meditate on his word. I want to do everything that I know to do to follow after his word and not to go in this way in the counsel of the ungodly. And then, finally, he abandons his faith and he becomes a scorner, a mocker, mocking at sin, a scoffer of those who are living right. I've seen this man, 47 years I've been a Christian, and I have watched it over and over and over again. People who you would look at and say, my, how gloriously the Lord has saved that individual. Oh, and the voice that God has given him, and he sings like an angel, or she sings like a bird, and oh, and... God uses them so spectacularly. Oh, man, I want to be just like that. And then you find out that the person has backslidden, left the Lord. And then when you bring the Lord up to them, this is a fact, church. Maybe you've witnessed it. When you bring the things of the Lord up to them, they turn around and they scoff at you. And they laugh at you. They say, oh, yeah, I used to believe that, but I don't believe that anymore. That's a hardened heart, folks. That's somebody who's crossed over the line. That's somebody who, who has walked casually, stood in the way, and then taken a seat in the seat of the scornful. Not good. Not good. If a person is not careful, he can take up this seat of the scornful. He can make fun of those who are trying to follow after God and his word. I've seen it. I've seen it. seen it a lot of times. Uh, one person that comes to my mind right now that Pastor Don and myself know, and I won't say his name, but the guy sang. He was a worship leader in this church. He, he followed the Lord. The fruit of God's Spirit was in this man's life. That's what the Lord says that we judge each other by, is the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of God's Spirit was in this man's life. But because his wife got involved in an extramarital affair, brought him down, and it caused him to get his eyes completely off of Jesus. It caused him to sink 
We understand that could be a very hard thing for any of us to go through. But never is there an excuse or a reason for us to take our eyes off of the living God who has given to us the only hope that mankind knows, the salvation of Christ. And, and so because of that, he allowed that to harden his heart. And then when you brought up Jesus to him again, oh, man, just whew, fire would come up in his face. Don't talk to me about Jesus as if Jesus did this to him. I'm telling you, church, if we sit in the seat of the scornful, this is what happens. And if you think it can't happen to you, you're sadly mistaken. <laughs> Amen. If a person's not careful, he can take that very seat and make fun of those who are actually trying to follow after God. We can take on an attitude of, who do they think they are? That guy that just jumped up and read the Bible and then preached, spoke into the microphone just before the pastor preached. Who does he think he is? Oh, they're just a goody two-shoes. They're such a prude. You know what? Prude is a short term for someone who's prudent, has prudence, wise, wisdom. So if they call you a prude, that's okay. Don't worry about it. But a person can take that attitude. Oh, they're such a prude. They think that they're holier than everybody else. Maybe you find yourself sitting in such a place today. Maybe there's someone who is getting underneath your skin. A brother, a sister in Christ. And all you have for them is scorn and contempt in your heart. And if you're sitting in that place today, get up out of that seat and run. Run to the ever-loving arms of your Savior. Run to your God. Go once again and embrace him and allow him to embrace you. Get away, get away, get away from that. Amen. I looked up a little, I found a little uh, excerpt here uh, on the word contempt. Contempt and scornful are two synonymous terms. That's the same type of thing. This is what it says. Contempt may be hard to define, but I bet you know it when you feel it. Beware. Contempt is a prime sign of relationship or marriage problems ahead. Marriage researcher John Gottman lists it as one of the top indicators of a relationship that will fail. Here's some of the common signs that contempt is underlying the negative tone in a conversation. Eye rolling suggests contempt. When you roll your eyes something that somebody's saying. He said that's a sign, that's an indicator that there's contempt there. An upper lip raised on one side. <laughs> An upper lip raised on one side suggests contempt. Mary had to remind me today that I was curling my lip on the way here. It can sneak up on you, folks. It can grab you real quickly. So does a sarcastic tone of voice. Beware if you have these habits and also if you have been on the receiving end of these negative communications. They are sure signs that someone is not listening or listening to deprecate you or you to deprecate your partner, not to gain understanding. 
Empathy and contempt are polar opposites. Empathy involves caring about others' feelings and concerns. Contempt is arrogant. I know best. Disregard, dismissal, and, de and den 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 denigration, thank you, of others' concerns. Amen. Empathy nurtures relationship bonds. Contempt invites relationship problems. Now, do you want to sit in the place of contempt? Do you want to sit in a place of being scornful? Or do you want to be someone who, who has empathy, someone who has understanding, someone who listens to other people, not just always having to be the one talking and the one who's always right that comes across in a, in a contemptuous way? Amen. So that's the first seat, sitting in the seat of the scornful. Now, Elisha, Elijah was a prophet of the living God, and he found himself one time sitting under a juniper tree. And we're going to go to 1 Kings chapter 19, and we're going to read a couple of verses there. And Ahab, who was an evil king, told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and withal how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. And he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, O oh Lord, take my life. Take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. Do you think that this could not happen to you? Do you think that this could not happen to me? This was a mighty man of God. This was a prophet of God. This was a man who was mightily used of God for miraculous feats. As a matter of fact, he had just pulled a few of them off just prior to doing this. This prophet prayed that it would not rain for three and a half years, and it did not rain. There was famine throughout the land. Man, when you got a prophet, you got a man of God that can call on God, and God responds to him in that way, that dude's in touch with God. That dude's got the heart of God. He's got the ear of God, and God's got his heart. Amen? That's a prophet of the living God. Amen? And so he prays that it doesn't rain for three and a half rain, years, and it doesn't rain. Then he challenged 400 false prophets to call on their God to send fire and to consume their altar. And they did it all day long, but to no avail. Then Elijah called upon the Lord God Jehovah, and fell, fire fell from heaven and consumed the altar. And the people said, Elijah's God, that, that's who God is, Jehovah, he is God. And then he kills the 400 prophets. The 400 false prophets, he kills them. Man, that must have been an all-day job. Doesn't say that Elijah appointed several people to go and kill. It says that he killed every one of those 400 prophets. Think about that. Then he tells this evil king Ahab to head back to his home because a mighty rain is on its way. 
after three and a half years, now he's saying rain is going to come. So the, the scripture says that he prayed that it would not rain for three and a half years, and it rained not. Then he prayed again that the heavens would give rain, and it did give rain. So he tells this wicked king, he said, you better get on home because rain's about to come. And God anoints Elijah again with a supernatural strength and ability, and he outruns Ahab's chariot. This is a king. He's got a chariot. He's probably got at least two horses pulling that thing, maybe four. And they're not, they're not any slouches. They're the ones who've come across the finish line first many times over. They're the best horses you can get. And he's taken off and he's going back to his hometown. And Elijah comes running alongside of him and says, Hey, Ahab, I see you there. And runs and meets him there. This is the prophet. This is the prophet we're talking about here. But once he hears what Jezebel's plans are to kill him, he runs for his life. Now here he sits under this juniper tree, sulking and singing the blues, scared of a little old woman. No offense, gals. Some guys ought to fear a little old woman. <laughs> but he did. He feared this woman, this queen, and then he ran for his life out of that fear. This guy who just did all of these things that I just said, and now all of a sudden, he just hears a threat coming from this woman and he takes off running for his life, sitting underneath that tree and just sulking and bemoaning his fate. Are you in a sulking mode today? Are you moaning and groaning over your plight? Do you feel like God has forsaken you? You've been praying for this thing to happen in your life and it just hasn't happened yet. Oh God. When, oh Lord, is it ever going to happen? And if it's not going to happen, you just may as well kill me now and take me home. Come on, be real. Have you ever felt like that? Yeah, come on, man. I, she, she's just, you know, I'm preaching this and then she's laughing at me. Because she knows. Yeah. After she laughed. Look, I, you stand corrected, dude. After she laughed, she, then she said that. She had to admit her own her own faults there after she laughed at her dad's. But you get what I'm saying, church. We all have been underneath a juniper tree. And if you're underneath that juniper tree today, get out from underneath yeah. it. That's not where you belong as one of God's children's that children. That's not what Elijah, that's not what he was supposed to be doing. Are you questioning God, saying, God, where are you? Let me just ask you something couple of questions. Have you forgotten who it is that you serve? Have you forgotten what he has done for you in times past? Has he not delivered you from your sin? Has he not healed your body? Has he not provided for you time and time and time again? But now you're facing financial struggles and you're wondering if he can do it again. Oh man, come on. That's underneath the juniper tree. When we start thinking like that, has he not stood by your side when others came against you? He's got your back. He's your defender. He is your rear guard. 
Praise God, people have come against me, and, and, and uh, God has had my back every time. He knows the plots that people are plotting against you before they even start plotting them. He knows your thoughts, and he knows my thoughts before we ever think them. This is the God we serve. And do we forget that he's ever done that for us in, the, in times past? That's exactly what we do when we get up underneath that tree and we snuggle up real close to its trunk and we hug it because at that point in time we're forgetting everything that he ever did for us. At that point in time we're forgetting his power, his strength, his might, his wisdom, his glory over your life. If you're sitting under a juniper tree today, it's time for you to rise up and get out from underneath that tree. If you don't, it could turn into a terrible spiritual malady. It's called, I'm the only one syndrome. Which if you read a little bit further down that chapter, you'll find out that that's exactly what Elijah started claiming before the Lord. I'm the only prophet, oh Lord. <laughs> I'm the only one serving you. So it's that only, I'm the only one syndrome that can, that can just be a deadly spiritual condition in our life. You might be saying, I'm the only one who cares about keeping this church clean. Now I'm just getting over to a little bit more modern times here. Getting over to a little bit more practical terms of where we live and what we do as Christians from day to day and week to week. Amen? I'm the only one who cares about keeping this church clean. Well, maybe God called you to do that. Just do it with, with joy and not contempt. Do it because he's called you there to do it. I'm the only usher who takes his duty seriously. All you ushers look at each other. If that's you underneath the juniper tree talking like that, get rid of that stinking thinking. I'm the only one who prays around here. I'm the only one who goes to the altar. I'm the only one who testifies or who witnesses to the unsaved. Me, Lord, I'm all alone down here. And the Lord says, you knucklehead, I have, I have thousands of prophets. Yes, amen. I have many, many people in my kingdom who are doing my bidding for me. You are not the only one. Amen. And this brother over here, he comes over here and prays over here every Sunday morning. Now, you might sit there and judge him and say, what's he doing up there? Why does he have to be up there? Can he pray in his seat? That's contempt. Amen. And if he's up there praying and he's saying, Lord, how come these people don't get up here with me? He's judging you. And we're not supposed to be judging each other. I used to go to Planet Fitness a long, long time ago. And it says, got a big sign up there. This is a judgment-free zone. We don't judge each other around here. Well, that's how it's supposed to be in the church. We don't judge each other. We make room for each other. We realize that we're all human beings. And that one usher might do a little bit better job of ushering than you do, but it's no reason for you to go sulking and become contemptuous towards him. And because you do do a better job than the other ushers, don't get all cocky 
and prideful and arrogant. Well, that's enough of that. But you needed to hear it. I need to hear it. You need to hear it. Because pride goes before the fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. Amen. I don't know those verses like some of you guys do. I don't know the addresses to all the, but I know it's in there. And I know it's in here. And I know how I'm supposed to act as a Christian. And I know what I'm not supposed to do as a Christian. And I know what I'm supposed to do as a Christian. I may not be able to give you the chapter and verse, but I can give you the whole book and say it's in here. It's in here. Amen. Then there's another situation, and this is found in Mark's Gospel, chapter 5. I love this one. I love this account in the scripture. Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 8, and then verse 15 as well. And they came over unto the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no not with chains. Because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. This is the demon speaking out of this man. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. Going down to the 15th verse, it says, And when they come to Jesus, they, say, they see him, that was possessed with the devil and had the legion. This guy didn't have one demon in him. He had a legion of demons in him. And they saw him sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. <laughs> the people, whoa, what is this that this man has done by just speaking a word? Even demons obey him. Oh, what a glorious day for this man. Amen? And what a beautiful testimony of the power of God. Just one spoken word from Jesus. Just one touch from the Master. Just one drop of his mercy. Just one glimmer of his grace can take a person from chains to change. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. We ought to all be able to shout that. Hallelujah. Because he took me, he took you from your chains and he changed your heart. And he is ever changing my heart. He's still working in my life. He's never let me go. And I'm confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in me shall perform it until the day of Christ's return. He's going to keep on doing it. There's an old song about an auctioneer who was trying to sell an old violin. And he's holding up this old dusty violin and this old bow that's got tattered strings hanging off of it. 
And he says, who'll give me a dollar for this violin? Who'll give me two? Do I hear three? Do I hear four? And then finally an old man with a beard comes out of the back of the crowd and he comes up and he takes the violin out of the auctioneer's hand and he takes the bow and he peels a few strings off and tightens up some of the strings on the, on the instrument and he just begins to play the most glorious sounding music. And the people are just mesmerized, astonished at the beauty and the sound that come out of that thing. He hands it back to the auctioneer and goes back and takes his place and the auctioneer says, who'll give me a thousand? Who'll give me two thousand? Dude, I hear two thousand. Did I hear three thousand? Who'll give me four? And up and up and up, the price goes. And then finally, when everything is quiet and still again, someone says, what made the difference? You could hardly get a buck or five dollar bill for that thing. What made the difference? He said it was the touch of the master's hand. The maestro played on. And he made that glorious sound come out of that tattered old violin. Only the touch of God can take, a, can take the broken pieces of a man's life and make something beautiful out of it. That's your life, and that's my life. Amen? We were like that old violin. And people now look at you and say, man, what made the difference in her? What made the difference in that lady, that girl Debbie that I knew? What made the difference in that little lady Chris's life? What, what was that that made a difference in her life? What changed Tina so that I can recognize a difference in her now? I used to know Mary when. I didn't. Because I only knew her then, after she got saved. But somebody might come up and say, I knew her then. But look at the difference in her today. What has made the difference in these people's lives? What made the difference in this demoniac's life? The spoken word of Jesus, the touch of God upon that man's life. And God takes our broken pieces and he puts them all together. And this man who was breaking chains and cutting himself and lashing on himself and biting himself and probably everybody else who came around him, all of a sudden, the Bible says that he's sitting and clothed and in his right mind. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're in your right mind now. <laughs> Amen. And we're reminded that God, through the Apostle Paul, reminded Pastor Timothy who reminds us from his word in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Hallelujah. Mr. Maxwell. Hallelujah. A sound mind. Hallelujah. You ain't crazy no more, dude. He's brought us to sanity. Amen. We're crazy about Jesus here. Amen. But before we were crazy about all of that ungodly counsel of the world, 
sitting in the seat of the scornful, living a life like that, and Jesus comes by, picks us up, and puts all of those pieces back together. I don't know about Humpty Dumpty, but I can tell you what he did for me. Psalm 34, verse 4. The psalmist says, I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Do you have fear of death? Christ removes the fear. Do you have fear of financial ruin? Christ takes away that fear. Do you have fear of whether you'll be able to make it in whatever it is that you're trying to make it in? Your job, your career, your schooling, your marriage, your relationships, whatever. Fear striking your heart that maybe it's just not going to go real well? No, uh-uh, that's not us. I sought the Lord. I sought the Lord. I said, I sought the Lord. And he heard me and delivered me out of all of my fears. Hallelujah. I don't have to fear anymore. And when fear comes against me, all I have to do is remind it and put it in its place. God has not given me a, a mind and a spirit and a temperament of fearfulness. He's given to me power and love and a sound mind. Amen. I don't care what Mary says about me. I'm not crazy. God put soundness in my mind. He put a purpose in my heart. You know, people go aimlessly from day to day. They have no purpose. They don't know what in the world they're doing. But you've been given purpose. You've been given purpose, and God has brought you alongside of him and said, you are mine. You don't ever have to worry about falling. You don't ever have to worry about turning back. You just keep looking to me, and you're going to be okay. Now, I want to talk to you about one last place. Because the title of this message is the best seat in the house. The best seat in the house. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 9. Oh, this is the best seat, church. This is the best seat in the house. You can't get any better than this seat right here. Amen. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, he has quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved. And has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Hath. That's the old King James language for has. He has done it. Meaning past tense. It's already done. He has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's the best seat in the house that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Amen. If you're a born-again Christian today, rejoice. 
We've got the best seat in the house. Hallelujah. Seated with Christ. Now we're in a kingdom realm of this great and mighty king. We're in a spiritual realm that other people cannot see. We can't even see it in the spiritual sense, but we see it according to his word and we believe it and we know that it is a spiritual reality. As a matter of fact, the things that we cannot see are probably a whole lot more than a lot of the junk we do see. Hello? You, if you see on the screen all of this stuff that's going on and they make it look like it's the greatest thing since sliced bread, it's a lie. And the reality is the stuff we cannot see. There's only one thing better. Now, I'm talking about the best seat in the house. But there's only one thing better than that. You got to know. All you practical people got to know what I'm talking about here. One thing better than having the best seat in the house. And that is the fact that you didn't have to pay for it. Think about that one. Hallelujah. A couple of years ago, Brother Cooper uh, bought Pastor Mary and I tickets to see Sarah Brightman. Was that at the Fox or was that at the Music Hall or wherever? Do you remember? The Fox. We had good seats. We could hear things just fine. We could see her just beautifully. Great seats in the house. But thank you, Brother Cooper. We didn't have to pay for them. Hallelujah. There was a little bit of a drawback to that deal. We had to pay for the parking. But no, I'm not slamming him. Mary, just relax, will you? I'm thankful that he bought us those tickets. The point I'm trying to make is the little bit of thing, that little, that little parking thing, I, did, I, had to, I had to pay for it a little bit. But almost the whole night was taken care of prior to that. Over here, what we're talking about here, I don't have to pay for parking. I don't have to pay for no little bit of it. It's all been taken care of by the blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. That's who I am. That's where I sit. That's where I'm headed when I leave this place. Amen. Into the glorious presence of my Lord and my King. Amen. Hallelujah. We've been given a seat with Christ in a glorious heavenly realm, and he paid for it all. Where are you sitting today? Are you sitting in the seat of the scornful today? If that thing's trying to creep in on you, shake it off right now. Get rid of it today before you leave this building. And as I said earlier, and most of us all raised our hands to this, it can happen to any one of us. If it's happening to you right now, it's your turn to shake it off. Get rid of it. Hey, I might have said something in this sermon that has already ticked you off, and before you even hit that door, you already got something going on in your heart and in your mind against me. That's true. It doesn't take but a flash. It doesn't take but a moment to lodge something into our heads against another brother or sister in Christ. Doesn't take, boom, a nanosecond. Are you sitting there today? If you are, get rid of it. Are you sitting underneath a juniper tree wondering when in the world the Lord's going to do anything for you? Forgetting about everything that he's ever done for you? 
Do you doubt that he'll come through for you today in this thing? Amen. You know, I, I encourage you guys all the time when we're receiving the tithes and offerings to, to remain faithful to God. If you're not doing right, get doing right. And I, and I admonish people to do that all the time. But you want to know something? The bills come every Monday morning. They're, they're there all the time. Faithful. Faithful. And whether the offering comes in or not, the bills will be there. And sometimes as a pastor, you can worry about that. You can worry about whether the finances are going to be there. You can worry about whether we can pay this big bill that we got sitting on the desk. You can worry about all of these things. But I'm not taking away from your faithfulness when I say this right now. But it is a reality. You are not the source of this ministry. You are a resource. God can use you if you allow yourself to be used. But the source for this ministry is God Almighty. And just, I mean, I'm talking about from month to month and week to week, folks, this stuff hits my head all the time, and I'm wringing my hands over it. Debbie and I are doing the bills on a Monday or a Tuesday over here looking over everything, and I'm at home doing it over on my computer there. In a, in a, a month or two ago, someone who does not come to this church wrote a $2,000 checkout for this, for this ministry. Just about a month ago, a pastor from another church in the area who wants to remain uh, anonymous, doesn't want any fanfare over, over it or, at all, sent $1,000 over to this church. Church, i got to tell you something right now. I know this person. We've communicated in times past. I cannot say that he's a friend of mine, a close personal friend of mine. He's a person who I might, in my mind, think that he would be the least person to send over a $1,000 check to our church. But he did. And you know who touched his heart to do that? God, our source. Our source. I'm saying that to, to wrap this message up. Wherever you are right now, you might be worrying about something that might be happening, but what you got to do is look back at what he's already done for you so many, many, many times over, over and over again. What do you think? He's brought you to this place now just to leave you dangling here? No, he's brought you here so that he can build up your faith even more. When you see the answer to your prayer, when you see God provide, when you see God lift you up out of the quagmire, when you see him break the chains that's been trying to uh, bind you and the oppression that has tried to jump on you, when you see him bring you through that once again, you'll say, hey, that's my God. Oh, I wish I could preach that one guy's, <laughs> that one guy's, that's my God. <laughs> Remember that one? That's my God. That's my king. He's the one. He's your king. He's your savior. He's your Lord. Trust him. Are you sitting in the seat of the scornful? Get out of that seat. Are you sitting under the juniper tree? Get out from underneath that tree. Are you sitting in chains of darkness and depression, bound by demonic strongholds? Jesus is welcoming you to take your rightful place with him. You're seated with him 
in heavenly places. The seat that he has already bought and paid for. Hallelujah. Stand on up with me. Amen. If you believe it, shout amen. Amen. Hallelujah. I believe it. 